0: Good afternoon. Hay una traducción del sermón, ¿verdad? ¿Alguien necesita la traducción? Voy a predicar, uh, puro en inglés. In there's a translation. Does everyone have a translation? If you can understand me right now, you don't need the translation. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it's been distributed. Saludos, más saludos y bendiciones y felicitaciones uh, del distrito de Wells de Arizona, Y California um, blessings and greetings and congratulations from the district, uh, the Arizona California district of the Wisconsin Synod. Uh, también especialmente uh, los pastores y las congregaciones del Circo de Los Angeles, especially the uh, congregations of the Los Angeles circuit, where I serve. Um, Joe Cervo in Los Angeles, uh, La Iglesia Gethsemane. I serve at uh, Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. It's awesome, awesome, awesome to be here. To be with all of you, first and foremost. Well, first and foremost, to be in God's house. And where the Lord, where, where, where we as believers are gathered together in his name, there he promises to be with us. And so that is certainly our privilege this afternoon, this evening. It's also an amazing privilege to be here with all of you. Thank you for having me. I have, as you can imagine, many memories of my time here, many, many fond memories. One of the first memories that I have of my time here was driving up the BQE for the very first time. And there was, it was, like, there was like no traffic. It was really weird. I'm just kidding. It was crazy. It was, <laughs> it was um it was a good introduction to the 405 if any of you have been to uh, Los Angeles. Um, it was the typical, it was the BQE. So if you live here, if you've driven it, you know what it's like. Uh, it's tight, right? It seems tighter, than, it seems to have the tightest lanes anywhere. I don't know if that's true or if they narrow them by six inches or what the deal is. It's tight, there's a lot of traffic. The scene, everything, it's the concrete jungle, right? So this, this whole scene at the same time just kind of falling into places. We're moving here for the first time. From the Midwest, which I think those of us who have been there, lived there, know that New York is a wee bit different than the Midwest. <laughs> and so it's, it, it, you know, the, the, the energy of New York is, is tar- starting to take hold, and it's intense, and it's awesome. But, but I remember, the, again, the concrete jungle, I remember the traffic, I remember um, as you're driving along the BQE through Brooklyn, at some point there's that first good profile shot of Manhattan, of midtown Manhattan, right? And I remember seeing that for the very first time, and I don't know if I said this out loud or if I thought it to myself, but I remember this very clearly asking myself, how are they going to know we're here? This is a city of 8 million people. This is not small town America. Um, our arrival here in New York City, a couple of pastors and their wives, I mean, Add four to the eight-plus million people, no one's going to notice. I mean, uh, for those of you who were alive at the time, the rest of us perhaps have seen the footage. Remember when the Beatles arrived at JFK for the first time from the the UK? Everyone's going crazy, right? This was, I assure you, not that. (laughs) It was very uneventful for most of us, for most of New York. About 99.99, repeating 9% of the city of New York. I remember it well. I remember asking myself that question, how are they going to know we're here? Other than the eight Wells Christians who were waiting for us, the rest of the eight million had no idea. They didn't have a clue. Some of you were part of that eight million. And, and, and my question, really to myself, what was behind it was not so that, hey, how are people going to meet Steve and Sarah and, and Aaron and Elizabeth, but how are we going to be able to connect with people in order to connect them to the gospel, because that's what it's all about. That's why we moved here. We moved here to start a church, which is a very unconventional or non-traditional reason to move to New York City. Some of you may know the history of the city. In 1609, I believe it was in September, September 2nd, if my memory serves, I wasn't there, um, if, my, if my memory serves me well, Henry Hudson came, he, he floated into New York Harbor in 1609. He was looking for China, ultimately, but he found New York City. He, he found the harbor, and he, he it was a pretty good find, I would say. Um, Fifteen years later, the Dutch settled in Lower Manhattan for the first time, and they settled it as a trading post. People moved to New York to make money. They, they moved to New Amsterdam to make money, that's why they came. While people are settling in Boston and in Philly, New England, Pennsylvania, Maryland, all throughout this I-95 corridor to practice religion for religious freedom, people came to New York, to New Amsterdam to make money. That's why they came. They didn't come for any other reason. They, They wanted to be successful, they wanted to make a buck, It wasn't about starting a church. And they were busy doing their thing. They were busy making money. They were busy having fun. They were busy trying to be successful. Law enforcement lagged behind in the development of this new settlement in lower Manhattan called New Amsterdam, which means that crime was high. And morality, the opposite of immorality, so morality was low, immorality was high, morality was low. You see, what had happened is people came here. They left their homes. They left their countries, and and they came to this city to make money, and they didn't build a church for 17 years. They didn't come here to do church. They didn't come here to to practice their religion. They came here to make money. They came here to be successful, and and in their pursuit, and, and they did. They were successful. They made a lot of money. They set a foundation here for hundreds of years of capitalist success. And they did a fantastic job. But they didn't come here for church. And, and in their pursuit of what would later become known as the American dream, they left their faith behind. They left it back in their country. They left it back in their past. They left it somewhere else. They didn't come here to make money. Or they didn't come here to do church. They came for different reasons. And at least in my experience from 2000-2007, the heart and soul of New Amsterdam is still very much alive and well today. You live here now. You know better than I. I've been here for eight years, or at least I haven't spent time really here for eight years. Um, but I know in those first relatively roughly 300 years, the heart and soul of, of New Amsterdam hadn't changed. People come here to make money. They come here to be successful. They come here to make a name for themselves, or to build a comfortable life. And, and please understand when I say that there's nothing wrong with these things. These are blessings from God, too. Wealth is a blessing. Being successful can certainly be a blessing from God. These are God's gifts, Some of many of God's gifts. But the problem is when we leave our faith behind. The problem is when we, 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 we let those things be the foundation of our lives. The problem is when we ditch our Christian perspective and when we leave that Christian foundation somewhere in the past. The Israelites at the time of Isaiah needed this reminder. They needed the reminder of, of what truly is the most important foundation upon which to build one's life. The timing of our text here for today from Isaiah chapter 33 is the eighth century before Christ. The Assyrians led by King Sennacherib had been in control roughly almost, not quite, but almost 200 years. And they had just taken out the northern kingdom of Israel. By this time, Israel had divided into two nations, northern and southern. And the Assyrians led by King Sennacherib had taken out in 722 BC, they took out the capital city of Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, and then they had the crosshair set on Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. And as they made their way down, they took out anyone who would oppose them. They made their way down. Slowly but surely, the, the, the citizens of Jerusalem and Israel knew they were coming. They knew what they were capable of doing. They knew they were outnumbered. They knew there was this ruthless army of hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many. We know how many died, but we don't know how many exactly there were. This army is coming, is is descending down on Jerusalem. And as you can imagine, those people were absolutely terrified. And that's the context in which Isaiah wrote these words. Let me read them again. From Isaiah chapter 33, he communicated these words to his fellow Israelites. He said, "...he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge." The fear of the Lord, and remember, this is, this is, a, this is a, a respect for God, right? And not to be afraid of God, but the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, and when I say that, I'm talking about me as a sinner, so I suspect you guys can probably relate to this. I know that sometimes in my life and in my heart and in my mind, words just aren't quite enough. I don't say that with any sort of pride. I don't say that. I, I say that with shame. I say that um, as a sinful human being, sometimes words of encouragement from God's word, the promises that are there, as reliable as they are, because we have an awesome, loving, reliable God, as awesome and reliable as they are, sometimes they're not enough. I see, sometimes in my life, I see obstacles and I see challenges and I see I I see roadblocks in my life. I see situations in which there seem to be no possible solutions, or at least no positive outcomes could ever come from this. And I stress. And I worry. And I fear. I want something that I can wrap my head around. I want a plan. I want results. I want some kind of proof. I want some kind of of logical process that I can see so that, so that I know how I'm going to get out of this situation. I don't take words like these to heart. If I were there in Israel at the end of the eighth century BC, I might be someone who walks up to Isaiah and says, all right, I mean no disrespect here, Isaiah, but let me get this straight. Okay, so you're saying that even though we are greatly outnumbered, two to one, maybe as many as eight to one, even though we're facing, we're surrounded here in Jerusalem by this this ruthless army of Assyrian soldiers, even though there seems to be absolutely no possible, no humanly possible way for there to be any kind of positive outcome to this situation, you're telling me that I shouldn't worry. You're telling me that this is completely, it's all good, it's fine, it's no concern of mine. And if I were able to have that conversation with the prophet Isaiah, this I, I, I'm confident that the prophet would respond uh, something like this to my rather flippant line of questioning. He would uh, say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. I don't care how outnumbered how, how you are. I don't care how ruthless they are. I don't care how seemingly impossible it is to have any kind of positive outcome from this situation. None of that matters. None of that really is important with the Lord as your true foundation. That's what he's saying. And, And he was right. He was absolutely right. Would you know? I appreciated Pastor Waddell's introduction reminding us from, in the reading itself from Deuteronomy, just this reminder that that same God who is faithful to the Israelites is, is, is that same God who is faithful to each and every one of you. It's, it's that Lord, this covenant God. We, we, we look back into the Old Testament, we see this name of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, all the promises that he made. And, and all the times that he looked after his people. And, and when Isaiah reminded them that this Lord was also their Lord, the Lord of their ancestors, this, this Lord who had promised to be their God, the Lord who voluntarily and willingly committed himself to his people, promised to be there every step of the way. The, Isaiah is, is saying to these Israelites, look, the God, the Lord of your ancestors of your past is still right here today by using that name Lord here in Isaiah 33 verse 6 he's calling to mind any number countless occasions of when the Lord had taken care of his people it it starts right away in Genesis chapter 3 when when Adam and Eve are busy hiding and, and, and they're coming up with excuses and they're tossing blame all over the place it's the Lord God the Lord is the one in that moment right who said you know what I I'm I have this solution for you. I'm gonna take care of this nasty problem of sin that has now become reality in this world, in your world. It's that same Lord in Exodus chapter 13, who was in that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. You know, as they're going through the wilderness, those 40 years, we read in Exodus 13 that, that that cloud never left its place in front of the people. His presence was always there. The Lord was in that cloud. His presence was always there. His guidance was with them in taking them all the way through. It's the same Lord in Exodus chapter 16 who provided manna and quail twice a day, well, once each morning and evening, right, for 40 years, providing them with everything they needed. The same Lord who didn't let their shoes wear out, which is an amazing reality. After 40 years in the desert, their, their shoes, the Bible tells us, never even wore out. It's the same Lord who was there at, in, in Joshua 6 when the Israelites took on Jericho, and they, they, they won a battle. They had absolutely no business winning, not at least using the, the methods of warfare that they used. It's the same Lord in Joshua chapter 10 who made the sun stand still. In Joshua 10, 13 and 14, says, The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. Who does this? goes on to say, Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Isaiah is communicating to his fellow Israelites, the Lord who did all of this, who was with you, your people, your ancestors always, who guided them, who provided for them, who fought for them, who delivered them, this same Lord is with you right here, right now. He's fighting for you. And on one night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were struck down by that Lord, saving the southern kingdom, saving Jerusalem from destruction. The Lord was their sure foundation. And not that he needed to prove it, but he proved it. And the Lord is your sure foundation. I realize that we are not surrounded here by hundreds of thousands of ruthless soldiers who would love nothing more than to get the better of us. But I do know that financial stress, for example, can be pretty intense. I know that physical health problems can be about as scary as anything. I know that relationship turmoil can consume us. I know that emotional challenges, emotional issues in life are real and they're powerful and they're sometimes paralyzing. So whatever it is in your life, whatever brings you stress, whatever seems to be the source of your worry, perhaps fear, whatever it may be, what are you looking to in this life as, as your foundation? What are you looking to for strength? What are you looking to for support? What are you looking to for answers? What are you looking to for any kind of guidance and, and hope and optimism for the future? In other words, what is the foundation? Upon what foundation is your life built? There are things like wealth. There are things like accolades. There are things like success. There's things like good health and healthy relationships. These are wonderful blessings from God. But when they get elevated to a place higher, more important than the Lord, that's when we get into trouble. Because Satan is using those things, and he's making promises. He's whispering in your ear, making promises that you can find peace and you can find contentment and you can find fulfillment and you can find happiness and you can find everything you ever possibly could have wanted in this earthly material thing. And it will only let you down. And not only will it let you down, but it leads to death. That sin leads ultimately to eternal destruction. You know... This is an awesome occasion, 15 years of God's grace here at Shrew Foundation. It, it, it certainly is a time to remember, but maybe it's also a time to reflect. Maybe it's a time for each and every one of you, each and every one of us individually to ask that question, upon what do I build my life? What is the foundation of my life? What do I look to first and foremost in my life for this contentment and for happiness? and for peace, and for hope, and optimism for the future. What is the sure foundation of my life? If, if it is not the Lord, then I remind you of the history of this city, and I remind you of the early settlers to lower Manhattan who left their foundation, their spiritual foundation, somewhere else in their past. And I warn you that history could tragically repeat itself in your life. What an awesome God we have. Because he would never leave us in the past. This God of free and faithful grace, as he was to his chosen people, the Israelites, is that same Lord who is your God of free and faithful grace. And that is demonstrated so clearly and so powerfully in the fact that he gave his son to die on a cross, to, to die what has been called by some scholars to be the most brutal way that mankind has ever devised to take a life. The Lord gave up his son. That son gave up willingly, voluntarily gave up his life for each and every one of you. Nothing says I love you more clearly and more powerfully than that reality right there. To make you free and clear of all sin and guilt, and to assure you that you have eternal life with Him in heaven. And that same God of free and faithful grace, who was always with those Israelites, always guiding them, always providing for them, always, always protecting them, is that same God who is with you. He is your Lord, He is your sure foundation. You know, I, I, um, because everything that the internet says is true. I happened to go to the Internet. I I did a Google search for foundation, and I loved Wikipedia's definition. Wikipedia describes, defines a, a foundation as follows. A foundation is the element of an architectural structure which connects it to the ground. So there's the physical aspect, right? Listen to the functional, and this is the most important part. A foundation transfers loads from the structure to the ground. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Lord as your sure foundation. He transfers loads from you to him. Think of 1 Peter 5, or 7. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. You get to cast all those stresses and all those concerns, all those issues and all those anxieties. And, and, and he takes care of you in any in every situation. There is no exception to that promise. I think, of course, also of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Come to me, he invites all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest you can transfer and you, and Christ has transferred your sin and your guilt to him so that you can live in peace you can be content you can be happy you can be confident of your future what a beautiful reality that is! that is the foundation of the Christian that is the foundation upon which this congregation was established 15 years ago that's the foundation upon which this congregation, this church continues to exist and continues to operate today. You heard a little uh, snap. Uh, you, you got a little bit of the history of the name, right, in the historical presentation prior to the service, where the name comes from. Obviously, it comes from Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6. That physical foundation of the city was mentioned. Also, that's, where, th- that's, that's why we chose this name, Shore Foundation, You go to Central Park and you find these outcroppings of Manhattan Schist, the the, the foundation that this city rests upon. And and this city is on an incredibly powerful and stable foundation. This church was started and named Shore Foundation to reflect the fact that we want to provide an even stronger and even more reliable foundation, a spiritual foundation in Christ. And what a privilege you have to be a part of that effort. Another thing I was struck by in the historical presentation was all the many people who were unmentioned. One of the last slides you had in there, so many people have, countless people have come through this place and have received that gospel encouragement and that gospel instruction and that gospel promise that the Lord is your sure foundation. What an honor and a privilege it is to be a part of that ministry here. What a blessing it is to to be a a light in a city that is sometimes pretty dark and sometimes feels pretty Christless. What a blessing and honor and privilege it is to be able to share that foundation with others, the peace and the confidence that you have, so you can see a person go from from overburdened by their sin to peace with God and, and Christ's forgiveness and to go from uncertainty and fear of the future to absolute confidence in eternal life with the Lord in heaven. May the Lord bless each and every one of you today and always. May the Lord be the sure foundation of your life, each and every one of you individually. And may the Lord always bless the ministry of Sure Foundation Lutheran Church. Amen.